Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today, man, I could not be more excited about both the topic and the guest. The topic is extremely relevant to me, although maybe not in an immediately obvious way, uh, which we'll, we'll get into in just a minute. Uh, but the my guest is, is a friend of mine, guy that I've gotten to know over the, the last several years, and he's the real deal, and he's an expert in his uh, field. This episode of the E-Commerce Evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce Resources. That's right. Here at OMG Commerce, we want to help make sure you're educated and in the know to capitalize on the latest tips, tricks, and strategies to help you grow your e-commerce business. So if you go to omgcommerce.com and under resources, click on guides, we have some cutting edge free information for you on things like how to dominate with Amazon DSP ads or how to use Amazon sponsor brand video ads and how to craft the perfect ad. We have several guides on how to capitalize on YouTube ads from creating the perfect ad to knowing when you're ready to scale. Plus there's the newly updated Google shopping guide plus more. Check it all out at omgcommerce.com and click on guides under resources. And now back to the show. So I'm, I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Joe Valley. And Joe is the, uh, he's a partner at Quiet Light Brokerage, which really, if you've ever looked at buying an online business or selling your online business, you've heard of Quiet Light. Everybody talks about Quiet Light Brokerage. But uh, more exciting than that and more timely than that, Joe just released a new book that's already hit the bestseller list. And the name of his book is The Exitpreneur's Playbook, How to Sell Your Online Business for Top Dollar. It's received endorsements from the likes of uh, Gene, Gino Wickman, author of Traction, which is also a great book, Ezra Firestone, Andrew Udarian, the list goes on and on. I endorse the book, not quite finished with it, but I'm, I've dug in and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's not only interesting and enlightening, but it's also extremely well written. So we're going to talk today about what to think about if you're going to sell your business, all the planning and the things that go into that, or what to do if you're in my boat where you're looking to buy some businesses. And so with that, Joe, how you doing, man? And welcome to the show. I'm fantastic, Brett. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. You know, we we go way back. I think we connected at one of Ezra's events, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. At I, least, yeah. I'm bad uh, with dates, but it's been a long time. And so yeah. Joe is just the guy who everybody like looks up to, wants to have a beer with, wants to talk to, uh, just really trust your your insights, you know? And and so, Joe, I, I got to ask, because I know this process is painful. I know from being an author, not of a book, but of other things, of guides and of courses and things that I've done, writing's hard work, man. They're like blood, sweat, tears, sleepless nights. So why, why write a book? <laughs> it had to be done, man. It yeah. had to be done, right? So much information or misinformation out there about business valuations in the online space, what the process is like, and all this stuff. Historically, you know, it's just been information from investment banking and private equity firms, but never from somebody who's sort of been an entrepreneur first and foremost, like myself. I sold my last e-commerce business in 2010. Since then, joined Quiet Light, touched about a half a billion. And I can't believe I'm, I'm doing that with a B now, Brad, but a half billion in, in online exits over the last decade, and I just had to write it. I, I, you know, I've had 5,000-plus one-on-one conversations with entrepreneurs, and you know there's a lot more out there than Absolutely. that. 
and I can't reach them all and I can't talk to them all. And even when I talk to them one-on-one, um, it's, it's a limiting conversation. So mm-hmm. I, I had to put everything I, I, I knew and everything the team knows and, and put it in the book so that it's, uh, as, uh, as, as, as Sam says, you mentioned, Sam says it's the definitive guide to, to selling an online business. Yeah, I, I, love, I love it. And what's so cool about it is, yeah, you, you can only have so many conversations, right? But there's so much misinformation or lack of information on how to get your online business ready to sell and how to do a proper valuation and how to train for exit, which we'll talk about in a minute. And and I know from, from our perspective, like as I look at creating content and I create a lot of you know YouTube ad courses or Google ad courses or other things, my thought is, hey, I want to help people, but also then if somebody wants to work with us and they've already gone through the training, like they're ready, like they, they understand, they oh, understand yeah. the game and it's just, it's smooth and, and it's easier from, from that standpoint. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the, but so the book is fantastic. Uh, kudos to you. I was telling you before we hit record, it's not just informative, and I've read a lot of business books that are informative. It's well written, right? Uh, it, it's an enjoyable read, and um, I, I like the written word, so I'm I'm a, a bit judgy when it comes to things like that. And uh, you did a fantastic job. So. I, I appreciate that because writing a book about selling a business could be pretty damn dry, right? (laughs) There could be details in there that could just make your eyes bleed. And uh, that was the biggest challenge uh, in in writing it, was making sure that it was fun and interesting and something you'd want to come back to because you keep getting such good nuggets out of it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's dig in just a little bit. Um, What is, what is an exitpreneur? Well, uh, that's a good question. I I guess I had to define it, and I think I did somewhere in the book. You know, an entrepreneur is what we all are. First, we just, uh, you know, bootstrap and say, the heck with the man, I got to work for myself, and I'm going to go ahead and and launch this business because I want a different lifestyle than going to work uh, and working for somebody else every single day. Um, An exitpreneur is that, but they also understand that the greatest value that they get out of their business monetarily is actually when they sell it. And so they've always got a mind towards selling the business eventually. And and look, let's not pretend that we're all gonna, that we're not all going to exit our business someday. It may not be, you know, for you, you love what you do. You might be doing this for another 30 years or 50, who knows? But you're gonna exit it someday. Yeah, exit or, at some point, right? <laughs> at some point, right? Yeah. So you wanna you wanna put it in in the position of being ready for that well in advance of when you decide to do that. Uh, so that in your situation, if you're going to pass it on to your kids someday, that they're inheriting something that is, you know, a well-oiled machine and, and growing and not full of problems. And if you're going to sell it elsewhere to somebody else, that it's got an incredible value. So then it will help you and your family on your next adventure as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and so, and right, and I'm I'm in a place now where I love running OMG Commerce. I enjoy the industry and the business and the team. And so, so no, yeah, no, no plans to sell. Uh, but you still got to get ready, right? And I remember one of the things you and I talked about before is even if you're not selling for a decade, doing preparing your business for sale now will make it a better business. It's just going to run better, and, and you're going to get more from it now. That's well. the absolute truth. Uh, that, that's so true. Yeah. When you understand you know, what the current value of your business is and what makes it more valuable. And we're not talking more clients and more revenue. We're talking about the other aspects of it that really blow up the value. Uh, Those really tough days that we all have as entrepreneurs get a lot easier because you know you're building towards something. So I think it's really important whether you're 
ready to sell or think you might sell or think you may never sell, I think it's really important to go ahead and, and put an exit goal out there and say, look, in 10 years, I want to exit for X amount of dollars. And then the next thing is you've got to understand where you are today so you know how close or far you are from that. Because you know, as our buddy, you're friends with Mike Jackness. I think you know yeah, no, Mike, Mike, right? Yeah, Mike's a great guy. Yep. Right, so Mike said to me, look, Joe, I, I knew what to do. And I was just going to get to it someday. And then I woke up and someday was here. Mm. And by then it was too late to exit the way that he wanted to. He had four brands in one account, wanted to sell them all. Wasn't able to sell all of them. So preparing for it, or as we say, training for it, because nobody wants to do exit planning. That's just boring as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Training for it is <laughs> is is what the book is doing and and getting you ready for. Yeah, it sounds like doing your taxes or something like that. No one wants to do your taxes, right? It's so awful. so what does that look like then? What what does it look like to train for exit? Well, I had to put it all in writing so it's something that you can absorb over time. Because if you're gonna go out and run a marathon, Brad, you're not gonna most people are not going to be able to just go out and go to the gym or get out on the on the road and start running and just you know do it without any exit without any any plan or focus yep. so you know the first thing we're doing is helping you understand what's going to be left over after the sale right and it's ballpark numbers because it always changes or changes every 4 to 8 years right with the political environment because we're talking about capital gains taxes yeah, yeah, here. Exactly. You may be paying more or less. You're not paying personal income taxes. So when you do the math on that potential exit, you got to figure out what's left over. So we're doing a little bit of that. So you're setting an exit goal and then you're figuring out where you are today. And that exit goal, you know, you could say 10 million bucks, but really it's what are you what's what are you keeping is what what the objective is. Uh, so we're talking about that. And then we're going through absolutely every aspect of the preparation and sale of a business from valuation ranges to what buyers want, to what scares the hell out of them, to LOIs, to deal structures, negotiating with aggregators. What the hell is a stability payment? Look it up. You're never going to find it. Now it's in the book. They made that up. Um, all these different stability things. Payments that was made up by the aggregators? Yes, made up by yeah. the aggregators. It's really an earnout. So quick side note, what, what is a stability payment? Uh, stability of payment is an earnout. If you really want to just call out what it is, right? But they 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 do earnouts and they do stability payments. They call it a stability payment because FBA businesses are so risky that we're worried it's going to fall off a cliff after closing. So therefore, we want to hold back ten percent in escrow and we'll pay you that in twelve months if we're within ninety percent of the revenue uh, at closing. Um, it's pretty 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 slick, pretty smart on their part. It lets them keep more of their money and buy more businesses. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. So just like, you know, if you are uh, going to go run that marathon or just a 5K, let's start with that, right? 5K, I that think much more attainable. Thank you. Right. I think you and I could both get up and go run a 5K tomorrow morning. We could survive it. Yeah. yeah. It, exactly. We'd survive it. It would hurt a little bit. And then for the next few days, it would hurt a lot more because we would be recovering, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. It's, it's the same thing. You want to, if you train for it, you're going to do well and the recovery is going to be nothing. Same thing with the business. When you get prepared and you train for it, when you're in the process of exiting, it's going to be a whole lot smoother, a whole lot easier. You're going to get more money, a better, a better deal structure. And then when it's all done, you actually will sleep at night yeah. and you'll sleep better as yeah. opposed to having lots of pain in a, a terrible deal structure where 
you're worried if you're going to get paid on the back end and all that sort of stuff. You'll, you'll experience the, the business equivalent of the runner's high. You'll be basking yes. in the glow of the, the success. I can't, I can't tell you if I've ever had a runner's high, to be honest with you. <laughs> just, it's, been a, it's been a quick minute for me. I did run cross country, not well. I ran cross country in high school because my basketball coach made me. And uh, so, I, yeah. But I, I, got I was number like, five. I was that? number five in the cross country team. And my kids hate the story. I'm like, number I've always. Five, dude, that's intense. No, 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 no. I was the fifth runner on the team and only the top five scored, Brad. Let's get this clear. I was not a good runner. And uh, the coach, I was running too slow one day and during a meet, and he's like, Valley, we need a number five. And I picked up my hands. I started running faster and I became number five. And uh, I told my kids. I told my kids, my kids hate that story and everybody else here does now too. So, but anyway, yeah, I'm not a runner, but you got to train. You too can be number five. (laughs) This this is awesome. Uh, So let's talk about, you know, what, what are some of the the mistakes that are made, right? So let's, let's take someone who's the opposite of an exitpreneur, right? Because you've experienced lots of horror stories, sadly enough, you know, tales of woe you've uh, experienced firsthand as an advisor, but, but what are some of the common mistakes people make that you're trying to help them avoid? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of these are detailed in the book. And just for the record, I do change the names. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, and I use first names only. Um, look, the first one is really easy. People are not using proper accounting software. They're just winging it, right? They bootstrap the business. They're thinking about themselves. They're pulling enough out to get by, to grow, to buy a boat, whatever it is they want but they're not using QuickBooks or Xero. And they're, and they're doing the accounting themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the cost of a really, really nice car lease, you can, you can, you can get a, uh, uh, an e-commerce bookkeeper to do all that ugly stuff yep. for yep. you. Totally, and that's what totally you should be it. doing. Yeah. That's what you should be doing. Skip the car so, lease. Get the, get skip, the skip, skip, skip the car. Exactly, exactly. Um, and actually, you know what? If you, if you get an e-commerce bookkeeper, you'll probably be able to afford that car a lot more. <laughs> Quickly, yeah, that's true. So that that's the number one mistake, and they're doing cash accounting instead of accrual. So mm-hmm. it's impossible to uh, initially, at a glance, calculate their discretionary earnings because you got to take the time to flip it to accrual instead of cash. And that's true for content and SaaS businesses as well as e-commerce physical product businesses. So, so in order to get ready to sell, you need that accrual-based accounting system. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now that that needs to be so. Just to clarify, is that does that need to be the way someone files their their taxes and does their taxes, or or that's just it's really just the the they need to be able to have those reports. Those are cool. you know I fell asleep in accounting class. So I, I'm not going to tell you how to file your taxes. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it now, though. <laughs> Strangely, I did too. That was one of the uh, almost one of the only classes I fell asleep in college. I'm totally not true. I fell asleep in jazz class. I was <laughs> Uh, uh, but I slept regularly in uh, accounting class. Yeah, I think you're supposed to fall asleep in jazz class, just for the record. Well, yeah, and so we had a quick side story that we had a, this professor who was great, passionate about jazz, and I actually like jazz after the class too. We were in an auditorium, lights were low, jazz is playing. I'm like, how can you stay awake? <laughs> anyway, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, your tax advisor is going to do something differently. So yeah, that part but, doesn't matter. It's just you, can you uh, uh, can you produce accrual based accounting reports? Right. The, and yeah. look, most people, and I'm, I'm going to say most now is only probably fifty one percent. It used to be ninety percent. People are growing up in this industry and get getting much smarter and much better and much more sophisticated. But you know, if we're at 50, half the people can't, 
right? So when I get a P&L uh, and it's in cash and they have not done accrual accounting inside of QuickBooks or Zero, you just don't push the accrual button and have it flip. That's right, not right. the way it works. Yeah. Um, but it can be done after it's exported to Excel as long as you've got beginning and ending inventory by month, quarter, or year, preferably by month. So beginning and ending inventory is ideal for that. Got it. Got it. Okay. We got cool. into the weeds there, folks. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, we're, we, we'll stay high level. Occasionally, we'll, we'll swoop Dip down, down. And, and, okay. and get really in the details. As long as we got our snorkel on, we got to breathe. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what, what other big mistakes do you see people, people making and that, that you highlight in the book? Uh, they wake up and they just say, oh, I'm done, man. This is too much risk. I got to move on. And then they, then they call me and they say, hey, I want to sell. Hook me up. <laughs> like, like, what? Really? No, we can. You know, what are you looking for? Uh, yeah, it's not worth that. So they, they wait until they're emotionally exhausted, worn out, tired, stressed, and just have to move on hmm. to sell instead of getting trained for it, but planning for it a little bit, right? Six, 12 months out and thinking, you know what? I'm going to have a conversation with an advisor. I'm going to, I'm going to see what my business is worth today and I'm going to march towards a goal. And then when you do that, you're happier, you're better, your business is stronger, and you have a better exit in the future. But if you're not ready in 12 months, just move the goalpost. Right. Right? That's all you got to do. Forget the business, and even making these changes is probably going to be healthier. So Absolutely. You're going to love the business more too, right? I see that all the time. When they go through the process, they're, they're ready. We go through the entire process, go through all the weeks and strengths of the businesses, um, and get it prepared to sell and ready to list. And then, and then I hear, Joe, you know what? I feel like I'm leaving so much money on the table. I should have done X, Y, and Z like you talked about. I'm going to hold it, and I'm going to come back in a year. I'm like, Good for you. Yeah. Smartest yeah. move ever. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and and do you ever find like when someone, so somebody maybe comes to you and they're they're a little burned out or maybe on the borderline and losing the passion for the business, they start to implement some of the things that you advise them on, some of the strategies. Do you ever find that that almost rekindles their enthusiasm? Absolutely. Do they, do they want to, then they're like, hey, maybe I should hold this for another year or so and get, and get a bigger, a multiple. Absolutely. You know, I, I uh, was at an e-commerce fuel event years ago and um, Shout out to Andrew Darian. Shout out to Andrew. So I was I was sitting down with somebody. We talked about you know the the deal, the deal structure. We got it all under LOI, going through due diligence, and this individual decided to be really difficult in due diligence because this individual. I'm not, you notice I'm not saying he or she yeah. um, decided they didn't want to sell because they were so much more excited about the business mm-hmm. because of what they learned. And that individual, and this was five or six years ago, that individual still owns the business today and it's killing it. So, you know, it was a good decision uh, for that for that person. Um, and, and, they've, and they've learned a lot. Eventually that, you know, that person just moved the goalpost much further down the line, but but it's still in view. So there's, there's a really interesting concept. Do you, do you know Peter Lang by chance? Uh, I know the name. I don't know him personally. Yuhuru Network, I believe. Uh, anyways, referred to me by a friend of mine, Tom Shipley, but uh, Peter does a lot of teaching and training for people that want to acquire businesses. So he calls it systematic or programmatic M&A. And one of the things he talks about, which I really like this, this phrasing, he says, you know, and I don't know if it's original to him or not, but he said, uh, you know, you always hear people talk about, do you want to work in your business or work, uh, you want to work in it or work on it, right? And yeah. so people talk about, hey, don't, you don't get stuck in it, work on it. And he said, really, what I think you should do is work above it. Work above it like an investor, Think like mm. an investor would think. And I thought, that's a pretty interesting way to look at it. And if you look at your business like an investor would, 
you remove some of the emotion, right? And you can begin to look at it objectively and say, okay, I still love parts of my business, right? I can't fully detach the emotion from my business, but I'm seeing it and thinking about it now like an investor would. And mm -hmm. I think in some ways that makes the game more fun for you now, but it also prepares you for that, for that exit. Yeah, that's, I love that. I, I thought you were just going to stop with working on your business, not in your business. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. But no, I love that. Think about it. The investor, like, that's good. Go above. Cool. Yeah, I, I like, I like Peter Yang. I need an intro. Yeah, I, I will make that happen. I'll make that happen <laughs> for sure. Uh, cool. So, so then uh, I want to talk about valuations for a minute, and, and and you know this, and I mentioned this maybe on the podcast a couple of times. I, I know I have. Yeah. We're looking to buy some businesses, right? We're looking. I'm, I'm on the other side. I want to acquire some businesses mm -hmm. potentially. Um, but I, the valuation game is tricky, right? Like that's the the thing where, you know, the seller thinks you know the valuation is one thing, the buyer thinks that it's worth another thing. Yeah. Um, what are some common valuation mistakes that are made? And, and kind of what are some sane advice, uh, you know, what, what are some tips on, on proper valuations? Yeah, so for, for buyers, you know, I wrote this book for sellers, but if, you, if, if buyers read and absorb the material in this book uh, and, and they go out and they find a business on their own, they're, they're probably going to find some pretty serious, what I call ignorance discounts, meaning the seller didn't do a proper job in calculating seller's discretionary earnings. These businesses are listed as a multiple of SDE, sellers' discretionary earnings. And, and the biggest mistake that, that, that sellers make is they don't properly calculate that. Um, the number one thing that, aside from being truly underinformed, misinformed, I don't want to use, I don't, I, ignorance discount is not the proper phrase, but uh, is, 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 is when somebody lists their business. It's a gr rapidly growing e-commerce business and they list it for sale using cash accounting. That's going to depress the H out of discretionary earnings. Yeah. Um, and and if, you're a, if you're a buyer and you can find a business like that listed by somebody individually, you're going to get some pretty serious instant equity because discretionary earnings is probably a heck of a lot higher. The other one, Brett, that, that so many people don't do when they list the business on their own or with a, an inexperienced advisor is, you know, if, if the owner of that business is using a cashback credit card uh, and they're not, they're not having it put on their P&L, which so many don't, right? They're like, hey, that's a nice perk. I'm going to take that. And, you know, it's sliding over or they take the rewards, right? We all, we, all, yep. I, we get the rewards here. Um, that's an owner benefit, and that goes to the bottom line. If it's not in the P&L, you can put it in the addback schedule. So if you're getting, you know, 100,000 reward points every month, that's, you know, 1,000 bucks, right, a month? Or is that 10,000? It's 10, yeah, it's 1% on American think, Express. Yeah, 1, 000, yeah. So, you know, so if you get 12,000 bucks added back just because of, you know, converted reward points, it's black and white, math and logic. It's no trickery. It is what it is. It's an owner benefit. And if you're at, you know, a four-time multiple, a three-time multiple, it's thirty-six to forty-eight thousand dollars added on to the list price of the business. So if, as a buyer, if you're looking at a PL, look for cash back or converted reward points. Mm -hmm. If it's not there, find out if they're using it. If they're spending money on advertising, odds are they're using a credit card, and then that credit card has some points. So that's instant equity that I see most people when they sell on their own. They 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 give it away. Yeah, yeah. they give it away. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what, Tricky, when I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, so stop me. But one of the things that you can look for as a buyer or make sure you don't do as a seller, if you've renegotiated your cost of goods sold in the last 12 months, let's say six months ago, and your cost of goods sold went down by, let's do simple math, a dollar a unit, 
and you sell 10,000 units a month, every single month, you've got six months where that new price, that lower price is not on the books. That benefit is going to carry forward to the new yeah. owner of the business. Yeah. So you need to take 10,000 units a month times that dollar. That's a $10,000 adjustment or an add back because that's going to carry forward, right? That reduction. So it's 60,000 bucks right there that should be in the add back schedule. 60 times, again, that's $360,000, $480,000 legitimately added to the list price of your business. You got to look for that. And as a buyer, you want to look for the opposite. You yeah, always want to ask this question. What, what are some add backs that are likely missed or some of that carry forward that was potentially missed by the, by the seller? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, you always want to ask, I would say, as a buyer, you know, have your cost of goods sold gone up or down in the last 12 months? Got it. Um, and you're really trying to find out if they went up. Because yeah. if they went up, you've got to make an adjustment too. Yep, yep. Super, super interesting. That's great. Um, and what, what have you seen? So you mentioned aggregators for a little bit. I have some friends that are that are that work for aggregators, and it's really an interesting yeah. uh, thing in the space right now. Not that not that you know consolidation is a new thing by by any means, but there has been definitely a rise in aggregators in in. Uh, in fact, I just recorded a podcast the other day with, with an aggregator talking about the rise of aggregators. But yep. what, what, what have they done, so like your, your Thrasios and others, what have they done to valuations of e-commerce businesses? Have they shifted the landscape at all? Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. And they're so well-known and they're getting so much press that FBA business owners are realizing, going, I can sell this thing, right? So I remember being at an event maybe six years ago when I, I had a, a, little, a little booklet, right? Now I have a real book, but my little booklet was called 10 Steps to Sell in Your Amazon Business. And the person that was putting on the event got up on stage and he talked about you know, the, uh, the survey that he did with his group. And it was like 80% weren't even selling on Amazon. They were so proud. They were Shopify and WooCommerce sellers. And uh, who needs this Amazon stuff? Well, he did it again last year and it's just the opposite. 80% of them are selling on Amazon. That's where most of their revenue comes from. Uh, now, six years ago, the, the, the risk, the perceived risk, I should say, of buying an Amazon business was incredibly high. So therefore, the multiples were lower. Today, people that are a lot smarter than you and I, that have raised billions of dollars, have proved that it's not as risky as you think. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the multiples are climbing because of that. And because of the competition among them, the multiples are climbing too. Yep, yep. So it's a great opportunity to sell an FBA business because these aggregators are fighting tooth and nail over each other. We've had an average, Brad, this is, we've had an average of four and a half offers on every listing year to date. Wow. Every one of them, 62% have gone at or above asking price because That's of the competition crazy. when it's an FBA business among the aggregators. Yeah. And, but it makes sense. A lot of these aggregators have, have raised you know, 400, 600 million dollars to yeah. be investing in other businesses and they can't just have that cash sitting there, right? They've got to go acquire some stuff yes. to create the return and so that, yeah, maybe they're going to pay a higher multiple than than uh, would have been expected a few yeah, years Yeah, they ago. don't like to, right? When Thrust first started out, you know, they were they were buying them at, at two times at best, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and now, um, Brad just put one under LOI yesterday. Uh, I think it was 5.4 before inventory, like a 6.3 with inventory. And, and this was uh, an FBA-only business or was uh, they were on a... Yeah, on? it was, well, I call it FBA business when it, it's 85% FBA. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And it was it was a substantial business, right? The, the larger the business is, the lower the risk, 
therefore the higher the multiple, right? If you've got an FBA business doing $100,000 in revenue, I'm sorry, you're not going to get that five and a half time multiple. But if you're doing, you know, a million and a half in discretionary earnings and you're growing like crazy and it's fully transferable and all these other things, it's possible. It's possible. So those higher, so once you exceed the three, three and a half times multiple, it's because you're diversified. It's because you've got larger SDE, which which is perceived as as more valuable, and because you've got a growth trajectory as well. I would assume. Yeah, it's all because the growth, the transferability of the business, the documentation. It's all uh, great, right? Great branding, maybe some recurring revenue, right? Uh, buyers love recurring revenue, whether it's you know, B2B where they're constantly buying your product or, you know, uh, supplements of some sort. Uh, it's, it's, it's trackable and it's, and it's just money that shows up in your account every month. Yeah. Which is beautiful for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so what are some of the other, uh, so I think everybody gets hung up on multiple, right? They want to way too much. They want to brag about the multiple. They want to talk about the multiple. They get all upset if they don't get offered the multiple, but, but there's more that goes into that, right? I even heard a savvy buyer say one time, I don't care what the multiple is, right? If they want to hire multiple, I'll just figure something else out, like to make the deal work in my favor, right? So, so like I, when when I heard that, I was like, okay, well, there's something there. It's almost like the uh, uh, the car dealer's like, uh, just tell me what you want your monthly payment to be. I'll f- I'll figure out I'll figure out a way I'll to make, make it work. work for me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. anyway, what, what needs to be considered other than just multiple? Um, you want to look at. Uh, are we talking about a buyer or, or from a seller standpoint? Uh, from a, a seller standpoint, yes. From a seller standpoint, right? So we've we've got a couple of chapters, probably three chapters, 13, 11, and 15, I think they are, on well, negotiating with aggregators, what they're looking for, and and how to work with them. They're all good people, and I say that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, I most know of several them are really good people. Good people. Yeah, yeah. they're smart. They're, they're great people, but, but good. Yeah, people. yeah. Look, they're they're not. They're not bad people. They managed to raise, uh, you know, five hundred million dollars. They're probably pretty likable, right? Pretty they trustworthy, uh, pretty um, smart. So we go into the different types of deal structures. So there's there's a total of six of them, or really it's eleven because cash is one, and then it could be cash plus an earnout, cash plus a stability payment, cash plus a seller note, cash plus a working capital peg, inventory seller notes, and all these different things. So understanding, you know the different types of deal structures that you could possibly have as a seller. Most sellers um, want to say no to anything but all cash. Uh, but oftentimes, um, having an earnout or a seller note or an equity role can give you some peace of mind and some income after the sale. You know, Maybe if this exit isn't enough for you to be done and stop working, you still need some income after the sale. So rather than take a smaller all cash amount, you may be able to get more for the business, like the one I just mentioned. The cash wasn't 5.8 or whatever the number was. It was cash and then an earnout and a consulting, a bunch of other stuff. And it just gives peace of mind after the sale. But again, most people want to say no because they don't know who the buyer is um, and uninformed and ignorant, uh, whatever kind of mind always says no. Once you get to know your buyer, you may say yes, and it may be in your benefit to say yes, but you've got to understand all of these different deal structures uh, before you want to say yes to any of that. And of course, you're going to have a very good attorney to make sure that you're locked in and secured and that you will get paid. Um, but we talk about that, and then we talk about how to properly negotiate with the uh, the person that's buying your business. Yeah. It, it, you, know, you, you want to work with good people, right, Brent? Right. Yeah, absolutely. A- as do I. This is not Wall Street, you know, 
second places for losers or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> not cutthroat. You're not trying. It's not like it's a winner and a loser, right? You're trying to come to some agreement. Where it's a win-win. It's got to be a win-win. You know what What I talk about in the book and what I've learned over the years through trials and tribulations, my own successes and failures, is that you know you don't just build a great business for yourself. you got to have the mindset of building a great business for great customers and a great buyer to eventually take over at a great price. And that great price has got to be for both of you, obviously. But there's a lot of greats in there. There are no losers in it. So you've got to you've got to shift your mindset a little bit and, and, and think of think of your buyer and, and giving them something that's amazing. And and they're going to pay you a higher price for that if you give them something amazing. If you give them you know a house of cards, they're going to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So in, in looking at these deal structures, and, and this is just kind of top of mind because we, you and I have a couple of mutual friends who have recently done partial exits. So they've, yeah. they've rolled equity, right? They've taking some chips off the table. They sort of sold a portion of their business. Yeah. They're retaining some equity. They're still working in the business for a period of years, however many that is, two, five, whatever. And then yeah. they're going to exit again. Uh, why, are, why are deals like that potentially pretty attractive and, and maybe worth thinking about right now? Yeah, they can be very attractive. They're unattractive if you need to get all of your chips off the table. Right. Right. But if you can get 75% of your chips off the table and, and roll the dice on the other you know, 25%, it could be a much higher exit for you. You know, the, the I think what we're going to see with some of the aggregators, and whether it's an FBA aggregator, somebody rolling out just Shopify sites or whatever it might be, is that they're going to try to do more equity rolls. And so if you've got, for example, I'm going to try to do simple math here. And, and the reason for that is because they want to retain that founder, that visionary, that operator to no. do some of the work, right? No, no. <laughs> strangely enough, no. Uh, they just want to get the deal done. That's okay. what they're fighting for okay. now, yeah. right? Um, most of the time, they've got the in-house expertise and got staff, it, got it. Okay. right? Thrust doesn't need me, right? If yeah. I had an FBA, but they don't need me to operate it. They, they want me to go away, <laughs> but if- They want to get a deal done. They want to get a deal done. So, you know, let's just, simple math though, if I've got 400,000 in discretionary earnings, and let's just say that I'm going to sell it at three times for simple math, yep. right? One point folks, I'm not telling you folks that your business is worth three times here. I'm just giving you an example. Easy math, yeah. Easy math. So that's 1.2 million. Um, but if I send, sell 75% of it, what is that? 85? Uh, now I'm going to, now it's not easy math, right? Yeah, um, it's uh, uh, a, I'm going to hold back. Yeah. I'm going to hold back 100,000 of it, mm -hmm. 25%, right? I'm selling 300,000 of it. So I'm getting 900,000. I'm rolling the 100,000 into the new co that is a bigger company that's worth a higher multiple. So I'm getting a 300, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting a three-time multiple on my 300,000. But the moment my 100,000 goes into the new co, that company's probably worth 10 to 20 times on their exit, like a thrash, right? Mm -hmm. 20 times easily, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my 100,000 now becomes worth a million. It's worth on paper more than my 300,000. That's the benefit of an equity role. The problem most entrepreneurs have with it is the concept of I have to go to work for someone. I don't want a job. Yeah. You know, and, and we just saw an and, offer. And a lot of entrepreneurs, let's face it, are unemployable, right? They're just I'm totally unemployable. I'm, I'm unemployable. Employee. There's no question about it. Um, but what you, what you can do is just become a strategic advisor to the company which just means you're going to sit in on meetings about maybe new product launches and share your ideas on where this is going to go. And so you're having a quarterly meeting and that's about it. That, that, that allows the aggregator to 
put out less of their cash and let you participate in the upside and they know that they can, they can draw on your expertise and your experience, but you're not working for them. You're just becoming an advisor for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that is probably something we're going to see quite a bit more of. Uh, and if you find the right buyer for your business, whether it's an aggregator or somebody else that you trust, uh, I think it could be a, a really excellent pretty, opportunity. Pretty attractive. Could could mean a higher multiple. Uh, and, and it's just pretty interesting. And that, that is another one of those win-win, right? Where the, the aggregator, the buyer, gets to put out a little less cash. Yes. Uh, they're allowing you to, to participate in the upside, but also uh, allows them to win the deal. So yeah, it t totally makes sense. Um, but I love that you outlined this in the book and what did you say, six, seven what, deal structures? What, what yeah, I think there's it, there's six total deal structures in the book, but when you add cash to each of them, there's now 11 because it's yeah. it can be cash or it can be cash plus this, cash plus that, or cash plus five of them. It can and, get pretty complicated. thousands of different ways to do each one of them, yes. like kind of six categories of, of deals. Right, right. So, exactly. Uh, awesome. Uh, other kind of other, let's just do a couple quick things here because we're about out of time, but other other tips, other little bits of advice for sellers, what should they be doing, thinking now, other than buying a, a book of Exitpreneur, which I highly recommend, get get it on, on Kindle, uh, you know, hard copy, whatever. Uh, what, what other pieces of advice would you give? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I, I would say that you really want to figure out your own level of incompetence. And you want to figure that out pretty quickly. Got to be self-aware, right? Yeah, you got to be. Because just because, you know, we're entrepreneurs, we have an affliction. We think we can do anything, right? Yeah, I yeah. can do that. And that, that mindset, that spirit is valuable. It is. not always. You got to be aware. Not of always, right? So you may be able to get your business to 10 or 20 million, but can you get it to 100 million? Are you equipped to you know, bring on a staff of 35 and go overseas and work with an overseas manufacturing company once a quarter or once a month? Are you emotionally equipped for that? And do you have the ability to manage a business of that level? Or do you have an interest? Can you? Probably. Should but, you? But would you like the life that that creates? And you might not. Yeah, like, exactly. So really be self-aware, figure out the kind of life that you want to live. Make sure you don't promote yourself to your own level of incompetence because when you do, your business will suffer and then the value will go down. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Awesome stuff. Joe, where can people find the book or, or yeah. connect with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, Exitpreneur.io exitpreneur.io or just do a search for it on Amazon, Exitpreneur or the Exitpreneur's Playbook. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can hit me up at, at joe at exitpreneur.io. I keep saying .com, but it's io. Uh, or, you know, at Quietlight, joe at quietlight.com. Yeah, and, and so so huge recommendation for the book, also recommendation for Quietlight if you're looking to sell your business. And, and, and so just a quick plug for, for Quietlight as well, Joe. If someone's thinking about it, considering it, like at what stage... Should someone reach out to Quiet Light, an, an e-commerce store owner? When should they reach out to you? You know what? If they're if they're at least twelve months old, I think it's time. Yeah, right. It's time. Um, and the key thing about Quiet Light, just to distinguish who we are and what we do, everyone on the team has built, bought, or sold their own online business. They're all very successful entrepreneurs 
first and foremost, and then they became advisors. Brad, who you know, rolled up yeah, what, Brad, 30 Brad. content sites, sold to a private equity firm. Amanda's been on the cover of Time Magazine, for goodness sake, Crazy. right? For Crazy. her pearl importing business. I am a slacker compared to some of the guys on the team. <laughs> but you got so, the book, man. You got the book. You can, you can always- I had to write it just to keep up with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right, Joe, really appreciate taking time, man. This was a ton of fun, very informative, and glad we did it. Thanks, man. I appreciate having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, I appreciate you tuning in. And I'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback on the show. What would you like to hear more of? What topics should we cover? And if you haven't already, I would absolutely love that review on iTunes. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.